0: Hey everyone, my name is Nathan Forster, and I'm asking the big questions of authors and activists, scholars and survivors, poets and priests, therapists and theologians, and basically everyone in between. This will be a resource for people who, deep in their bones, think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we've sometimes put it in. And so what better way to discover this than by learning people's stories and their specialities? in order that we deepen and widen our perspective on faith, community, society, and life. So journey with me as we go deeper and wider. Christian inclusivism. Have you heard of this before? It's something of a big topic within Christian thought. It's the name given to a theological position that asserts this, that God's salvation, though always through Jesus, nonetheless can and does have an extended work across all of time and across all people groups. That, whilst Jesus is the only way, people can nonetheless encounter Jesus in a variety of different contexts and in mysterious ways, outside the four walls of church, and perhaps even outside the Christian religious constructs we have created. And that Jesus can and does this because God is a God that will go down any path it takes in order to find his lost sheep. That's Christian inclusivism. It's one of the perspectives offered when answering the larger questions of salvation Such as, how far does God's work of salvation go? Can someone be saved by Jesus Christ even if they haven't heard the name of Jesus explicitly in their life? Can there be a wilderness in God's mercy that's still found in the one and only Jesus? Whilst we believe that Jesus saves, the question is, how does he save? Now, whilst this is a theological question, it is at its core a very personal one because we're talking about salvation. And as such, we're talking about people, people that we know, people that we love. So how does God, through Jesus, save? In today's episode, we'll be exploring this topic with theologian Brad Jersak. Dr. Brad Jersack is an author and teacher based in Canada. His books range from Christian spirituality and theology to political philosophy to even illustrated children's works. He's a Dean of Theology and Culture at St. Stephen's University in New Brunswick, Canada, and is on the core faculty with the Online Institute for Religion, Peace and Justice. He had two books come out last year, one called A More Christlike Way, A More Beautiful Faith and In Incarnation and Inclusion, Abba and Lamb. Now, whilst his books did cover more than just today's topic, it was nonetheless a core part of both of his 2019 books, especially his book, In. And as such, I decided to talk to Brad today about this topic of a more inclusive view of salvation, or as it's more often called, Christian inclusivism. Now, if you're thinking you're just going to hear dry academic theology today, don't think that at all. Because we are precisely talking about how Jesus saves. And as such, of course, we're going to be hearing stories that Brad has that attest to this wider work of Jesus saving. From 12-step program to Christ-following Muslims and more. Now... If this all sounds a bit controversial to you, well, maybe there's a little bit of controversy. But it shouldn't be. Christian inclusivism in no way undermines the Christian faith or waters down the gospel or the unique revelation of God found in Jesus or the need for the global church or, for that matter, ultimately the saving work of God. If anything... As Brad will show us both through scripture and through story, it actually makes Jesus even better than before. So let's hear from Dr. Brad Jersak. So tell our listeners about yourself. What's your faith journey?
1: Well, I grew up in a Baptist home for about 20 years with faithful parents who taught me to love Jesus and scripture and prayer. Um, I went off to a conservative Bible college that probably was more conservative than them. And my mom would say, although she was a Baptist, you know, stay open to the Holy spirit, Brad. And yeah, I, I wow. kind of didn't. And uh, by the time I was done Bible college and seminary, I, I I'd kind of meandered into Calvinism. And um, thankfully, I also married a woman named Eden who raised an eyebrow at that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um,
1: and also I, you know, her home church invited me to come be a pastor there. So after these 20 years as a Baptist, I joined the Mennonites and, um, and eventually the Calvinism unraveled in the face of the gospels. Really, that was the big yes.
2: thing. Wow.
1: And uh, the the Mennonites gave me a very Jesus centered focus on the Bible that Christ himself is the hermeneutic and read yes. the Bible through him. And, and that led me also to, a, a real commitment to nonviolence in terms of taking the Sermon on the Mount seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, we were also connected with charismatic folks down at the vineyard. It was a very healthy, small C charismatic where we
3: yeah.
1: began learning as a Mennonite church, how to pray for the sick and to prophesy in like non grandiose ways. And I yes. uh, would regard that as a very healthy aspect of what we learned. And we had to, we had to transpose what we were learning about the spirit into a Mennonite setting. So it taught me how to, to use language, well to to be non-threatening and not to Mm. be weird about it. So that was really helpful. Wow. And at the same time we had so many youth members that were struggling with trauma from their childhood that we also got into inner healing work um, that we do to this day. And that was, that was pretty amazing to just see how Jesus would, would love people back to health and transform their hearts and heal their wounds. So after 10 years of that, uh, Eden and I went and we planted a church with Brian and Sue West, where we where we uh, focused on people with disabilities, people wow. with addictions, mm. the poor, uh, children. And that was magnificent because those those marginalized groups became our mentors in the kingdom of God. And they showed us what it is that matters in the kingdom it's about will you love me and i can i love you and there's fresh mercy every day and mm. um it it was it was actually magnificent but i you know i led or co-led that for 10 years and then i and then i had a crash because of uh, just a series of a long series of great tragedies in our church and i i, I didn't know how to handle it yeah. i like i honestly didn't know if i could trust god anymore so i stepped down and my wife stepped in and became the healer yes. for the next five years she brought that church around she carried me um and i uh, my approach to self-care at that time was i was really good mentors a 12-step sponsor a spiritual director And I discovered that part of my problem being overly responsible as a pastor. I I had slipped into codependence with my congregation, which was weird because I I, I hadn't stumbled on that for 20 years. And then it happened very quickly. So my Ph.D. studies were dealt with the problem of pain and suffering, Mm. uh, the goodness of God and human affliction and how the cross addresses that. And uh, simultaneously, I began a real catechism with an Orthodox monk named Archbishop Lazar. It, it began earlier, but I went through a 10 year process of just sitting at his feet and being taught by him and what the early church fathers taught, mm-hmm. uh, how oh, they okay. approached the nature of God. And so catechism is usually a word we use for like um, theological training or spiritual sure. training, as okay. you, right? So you're preparing for baptism. I didn't need to be rebaptized, but in 2012, I graduated from, from uh, my studies and I entered the Orthodox Church. Yes. And I've been there ever since. Um, I also That's also when I shifted from pastoring to academia. So I've been teaching. I taught in uh, England f- uh, for six years at Westminster, and I am now um, teaching at St. Stephen's University in Canada. Yeah. And as you know, writing books and so on. Yeah. So that's where my journey's at right now.
0: Yes, yes. And um, what led you to exploring... The topic of a more inclusive view of salvation
1: uh, there were a, a couple of things uh, one is the Bible itself I began to see more and more of the inclusive language in Scripture and I'll give you a, like the most dramatic one in my mm. mind is is as in Adam all died so in Christ all shall be made alive mm. um, so just as the impact of Adam's fall affects everybody so the impact, and in fact, Romans 5 says how much more the impact of Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection impacts everybody. And um, connected to that, I'll add another scripture from Romans 5. And it's just it says that while you were still sinners, he died for you. And while you were his enemies, he reconciled you. So in other words, when we say inclusive, we're saying that what Christ did, he did for everyone. Yes. And so those scriptures really impacted me, but also then the Orthodox theology and the early Church Fathers that I was studying, they, they used this language all of the time, and so mm. it was not that salvation was only for those who responded to Christ's call. Salvation begins with, in the Incarnation itself, when God unites Himself to every human on the planet. Yeah,
0: right, okay. That's quite distinct from the forms.
1: Yeah, and there's there's still a call to, there's a summons to respond. So uh-huh. that we experience that salvation in real life. Um, so it's not it's not saying that that everyone experiences salvation, but it's like the work has been done, the Savior has come, and He's the Savior of the world. Now mm-hmm. the invitation is now now open your hearts to that, the beauty of that, and to His love, and let Him love you, and uh, this will change everything.
0: Mm. I've often heard the the analogy used as almost like if you use the analogy of a new day so and when I mean a new day I mean like the sun is rising and the whole world is now lit up and it's our choice whether or not we remain asleep in the new day which has already dawned or whether or not we choose to wake up and participate in what is already real and all around us
1: yeah well, you've used a very important word, and that's participation. Now, the, the, mm. the uh, church reformers were a little panicky about that. They worried that any kind of participation in our salvation was works. But it's just so completely obvious from the New Testament that mm. um, we participate in what God has done for us. He yeah. initiates his grace, and then we orient ourselves towards it. And that's what changes things. And in a sense, also, Paul adds this idea that the preaching of the gospel opens our eyes to see what is already. He, he, Paul says uh, that it pleased God to reveal his son in me. That's remarkable. So yeah. he, he, when his eyes were open, God revealed something that was already true for him, but w- mm. it went from the truth of his being mm. to the way of his being. So The truth of his being that Christ had already reconciled him. But when his eyes were open to that, he was under the delusion of alienation. He he was now open. Oh, my goodness. Um, Now this can become the way of who I am.
0: Yes. Wow.
1: So not just this kind of righteousness that's declared in the heavenly kingdom. No, it's like actually in Paul's heart. And he begins to change dramatically.
0: Wow. Wow. I guess that's the difference between... As we've we said, kind of the, the, the cosmic view of salvation, if you like, and then being awoken to that cosmic view and, and how that inevitably leads to a change of life and a change of heart.
1: Right. I think the key to it, one thing that helps some people understand is what we used to believe is that our sins separated us from God. And now if we repent... We crossed the bridge and not we're not separated from God. And, and that's not how the early church even thought. They couldn't think that way. What they said was that God has united himself to all humanity in Christ. So there is no separation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But there can still be a veil over our eyes and our hearts so that we experience real alienation. That mm-hmm. is... He's with us, but we don't see it. He loves us, but we don't know it. He's forgiven us already, but we don't experience it until the veil is removed. And we're like, oh, I'm already in. It's like, yeah, wow.
0: Wow. That's that's incredible to to think about it like that. And I guess, as as you've kind of hinted on, it does have to do with our readings of Scripture. Because that's something I I noticed quite a lot in my faith was there was this sense in which, especially in the Apostle Paul in Romans, where on one hand, there's that, the universality, and then there's this language of, of um, being an individual participating in that. So, but I can imagine some of my listeners might confuse that with pluralism or, or even a, 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 or a type of universalism or an exclusivism. So could you maybe unpack those terms?
1: Sure. I could can, I can do that briefly. I have to go into it in a more nuanced way in my book uh, yeah, at the end uh, of the in-book, but I I can do a brief version. So the idea is this. Inclusive salvation is the idea that we've just described, that what Christ did, he did for all, and he has reconciled us, the world, to -hmm. his Father. And now, as we see that and respond to it, we begin to experience it in our hearts. Mm -hmm. Pluralism, on the other hand, basically says all paths lead to God, and that all religions are equally valid. And in fact, at their core, all religions are the same. It's only the externals that are different. I I would resist that view because I would say, no, at their core, not all religions are the same. We have a lot of common ground. Uh, let's say, for example, with Muslims, mm-hmm. we have a lot mm-hmm. of common ground with them. But to say that the core beliefs don't matter, like Jesus is... Jesus Christ is God. I must believe that to be a Christian and Muslims must not believe that
2: Mm. to be Mm.
1: Muslims. And so that's core. And so, so our common ground is great, but, but I think rather than a pluralism that tries to water down every religion as if they're all the same, instead we would say, no, I see your differences and I, I respect you in the differences. And now let's share our faiths together and see, what we've each experienced and, and learned, but without without saying, well, it's all the same anyway, and we all drink from the same well. Really, I mean, so were the people sacrificing their firstborn to Molech in flames? Was mm-hmm. that, that's just the same as Christianity? That's kind of bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I don't buy this idea that all paths lead to God. As Paul Young says, no, most paths lead nowhere, but Christ will travel any path to find something. Mm-hmm. So there could be a path, another religious path that is actually heading away from the kingdom of God. But Christ will go as the shepherd onto that path.
2: Yeah. And
1: so it's not surprising to me when people of other faiths meet Christ in their faith. Because he's out looking for them. That's not an affirmation of their theology. And by the way, it's not always an affirmation of our theology Mm -hmm.
0: either. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's just an affirmation that Christ seeks and saves the people who are lost on these meandering highways. Um, so that's pluralism and why I don't, why I don't go there. Um, and I think that when you blend faiths, you know, there's limits to that. We might, we might experience different faith practices. I know Christians who practice yoga. I'm not so worried about that if they're focused on Jesus, but like really when we start saying, okay, um, we're going to blend Christianity and civil religion—that's absolutely compromises Christianity. Mm,
2: yes, yes. It turns
1: it into an idolatrous religion. Or let's say in early Catholic, it, uh, medieval Catholicism. No, later than that, when they were doing the colonial explorations, you know, they would they would come to another nation and try to to blend it with mm-hmm. the, the indigenous religions. You can go only so far with that until, like in Haiti, we would say this: um, Haiti, Haitians are. 90% catholic and 100% voodoo. Okay, that's syncretism.
2: Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and,
1: and it often does just falls apart. And then universalism, I think there are certain universalisms like David Bentley Hart that I would affirm where it's like he believes in ultimate redemption but mm. through Jesus Christ. Yes. Through response to him, through a final judgment and mm. and all of that. But but I most it seems to me the dominant use of universalism says no response required. And in fact, even Jesus is optional. And I'm like, no, I, I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. I believe in ultimate redemption, but not that kind of universalism that that diminishes the incarnation or that Jesus is the means t- to our redemption. Yes. So that's why I'm. I'm I'm pushing back at the word universalism these days and it's kind of triggering people. (laughs) Yes. You should just admit you are one. It's like, I do not admit that we don't need a redeemer, that we don't need salvation, that we don't need Jesus. And most universalists are going there now. So Mm. why would I use that term? That's crazy. So yes, that's my summary.
0: If you could maybe give us, I mean, you could, we've, we've talked a little bit about the theology. Did you have personal experiences, personal encounters that led you to go, Jesus seems to be outside my church box or my, my, my theology box or my uh, Christian box, so to speak.
1: Sure. And I, I will front those with a couple of scriptures. So in John 1, we see that Jesus Christ is the light of the world who shines on everyone. Yeah. We do see that he's the word of God who speaks to everyone and he speaks everything into existence. But it's only later that John the Baptist comes along and says, behold, the lamb. He's not only the light and the word. He's also the crucified and risen one who
0: became yeah, flesh. Yeah, right. Yes.
1: And not not everybody knows that yet, but that doesn't mean the light and the word can't be active in their lives until yes. that witness comes. Another example of that would be would be Cornelius in the book of Acts. And before his conversion through Peter's gospel, he already has valid faith practices, mm. and he already has. Um, uh, an engagement with God, praying to God and God hears him and answers him and begins his journey before the conversion
3: like it is Mm -hmm. for
1: all of us. So here's a couple examples, maybe um, with this brilliant example of a fellow named Stanley and Stanley was uh, meeting with a friend of mine named Esther. She was trying to find him employment and she worked in an agency where she couldn't specifically talk about the gospel or name the name of Jesus. And yet Stanley showed up to, to the center one day and she could hear him wailing. And he was like deep, deep cries. And, and she's mm. said, what, what's wrong with Stanley? And her coworkers said he tried to kill himself last night. He actually cut his own throat and they kept him mm. in the hospital, stitched him up and sent him out. And now he's here. And, and his mantra is, I'm a lone wolf and I'm a black sheep. And there's no place for me in this world. Aww. So Esther goes down and And she just sits with him and weeps with him for 45 minutes. And she's praying. It's like, God, how do I reach out to this guy without talking about Jesus? Like, he's in real peril here. And the Lord gives her an idea to use the idea of light from John chapter 1. So she says, Stanley, can you see the light anywhere? And he says, no. She says, can you see the light in the room? No. Can you find the light in your heart? No. And then she gets this idea. Stanley, look in my eyes can you see the light in my eyes and wow. then uh and he says yes and she says what is the light saying to you so she knows it's christ that christ is the light in mm. her mm. who is also the word who wants to speak to stanley and stanley says the light is saying that you're uh something like this you're you're you have a good heart and you're kind and You're worthy of belonging and love. And she goes, Stanley, that's beautiful. Let's write it down. So he goes to write it down. And when he writes it, he writes down, I'm a lone wolf and a black sheep. And she says, Stanley, that's that's the voice that tried to kill you. That's not what the light said. Write down what the light said. So they burn Mm -hmm. up the first paper. And he writes out, uh, you have a good heart and you're kind and you're worthy of belonging and love. And she says, when you look at those words and you listen to that light, how does that feel? And he said, oh, I feel better, you know? (laughs) So the next day he comes back and she says, Stanley, who are you? And he says, I'm a lone wolf and a black sheep. And she says, no, Stanley, that's not what the light said. And so she gets him to repeat this. And this goes on for several days until until the darkness was all gone. Mm. And now he's living in the reality. I, I have a good heart. I'm a kind person. I'm worthy of belonging and love. And it immediately begins to ripple through his life. He gets a job. And at his job, he finds friends, and they're excited that he's on the roster. And he finds a friend who wants to go for a bike ride with him, and and he, and um, so she interviews him and says, "So Stanley, tell me what the difference was before you met the light. Who spoke to you?" And he says, "Well, before it was horrible. I felt like a a lost sheep. I felt like a black sheep and and a lone wolf, and there was no place for me in this world. And now, I feel like I'm a member of the world." Wow, and and she's just like she begins weeping. (laughs) Wow, and and um, you know what? He still doesn't know that Jesus Christ is Mm. is the light, but he's already begun to experience the transformation. Right? Yes, yes. And at some point, I actually think I know when it will be. Mm. Um, a witness will come and say, you know, the light that you met and the word that spoke. Do you know it also became a person and walked Mm. this earth?
3: Wow, and
1: not only that, but he died for you and rose again. So there's actually more revelation waiting yes. for him. So yes. the idea that he died for you means your guilt and shame are removed mm. forever. And that he rose again means you don't need to be afraid of death anymore.
2: Mm. And,
1: and so like with Peter, he didn't just say, well, we don't need to tell Cornelius about God because he already knows God. Peter's like, no, there's a gospel actually that, that, that takes this up a notch now a greater revelation of Jesus. In fact, the revelation of Jesus that Abba is in Stanley. Yes. Not just someone he saw in Esther's eyes, but that he's in Stanley. And and so we're just like, we don't have to rush that because God's not, and it hasn't prevented Stanley from getting his freedom. Yes. That's one of our favorite stories right now. It's very current and watching it unfold
0: beautifully. My goodness. And that is powerful. And I think as well, like, suppose that Christ were to turn before to appear again, so to speak, Paul Stanley makes the quote and you know, conversion, whatever, how word we use for that, it's, it's remarkable to know that even in that moment, his deepest um, deeper sense of, of the light in him will become f- more fully and gloriously revealed. And so regardless, there's a sense in which uh, there's a, a moving towards Christ. Uh, despite, uh, despite where that happens in in his lifetime or or within uh, the period of of Christ, so I think that just testifies to a beautiful gospel and a beautiful God with yeah. having that inclusive view of salvation.
1: Yeah, I now I even I shared with another friend who does not identify as Christian. I shared the story of Stanley. Yeah, like she's just weeping, right? And, wow. And, I'm, and I said, um. I wonder what the light would, I, I didn't tell her about Jesus yet. Right. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I wonder what the light would say to you. And boom, mm-hmm. it's like, I said, well, this is odd. The light is saying, follow me. Is that something the light <sighs> oh, would say? Oh, wow. i like, That's yeah. incredible. And then oh, uh, nice. I said, like, you just need to keep listening to that voice. Wow. And, and she knows I'm a Christian, but she thinks, well, okay, but I don't need Jesus, but Brad needs Jesus, but I'm listening to the light. And I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, and then, um, a few weeks later, I get a, t- a message, uh, p.m, um, and it says, "I was talking, I was talking to the light, and the light said to me, "I understand your weakness." Wow. I, and I'm like, "Do you?" And I'm like, "Oh okay, I see where this is going. Do you know why the light can understand your weakness?" I'm like, "No." Because <laughs> the light became weak. The wow. light became one of us. And it was like Christ was giving us the hint that it was time to wow. talk about the incarnation. And the hint was that he had revealed, and this was the most profound experience she'd ever yes. had, was to understand that God could understand her weakness. Wow. The, and not just as the omniscient one out there who knows everything, but like the one intimately in who has become human and, yes. and has co-suffered our experience.
0: Wow. Wow. And hearing all this, it 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 the way we view the whole notion of um, the role of the Holy Spirit as well, uh, because it, it sounds like that the Holy Spirit isn't a, it, it doesn't sound like a quick pro quo version of salvation that says, right, you have now the right cognitive ascent, therefore the Spirit's now going to be deposited, but rather that the Spirit is kind of ho- hovering above the waters or, or moving moving through cultures and people. Would you say that's, that's the case in, in terms of Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox theology and, and yeah, our understanding of the gospel.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. You do have this idea of the spirit falling on people or filling people and all of that, that in the New Testament that seems to do with empowered ministry. Sure. But in the gospel of John, Jesus says that the spirit is going out ahead of them as his witness into yeah, all the world.
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: So wherever I go, whoever I meet, the Spirit has already been there, speaking and pointing and preparing the soil, and and I'm I'm never the first witness. Mm. I, at best, I'm the second witness after the Spirit. And in Orthodox theology, we have this um, we have this prayer we pray every day, the Trisagion prayer, and it starts this way. And think about this with the Holy Spirit and His yep. witness, mm. or Her witness. Yep. Um, O heavenly king, O comforter, spirit of truth who is in all places wow. and fills all things, treasury of good gifts and giver of life, come dwell with us. Wow. And, and, and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O good one. And this is Christians talking, right? So it's saying mm. the spirit is this is everywhere. And in all places, filling Mm. all things and infusing it with life. So that's very cosmic, right? Yes. Available to all, speaking to all, testifying to all. And then we also say, but and we want that truth to be the way of our being. So we open the treasury to us now. Wow. Uh, Bring your cleansing to us now. Walk out our salvation with us now. And and that salvation isn't just like in or out, us Mm. and them. The salvation is... The transforming work of the spirit in me, mm. saving me from my addictions and my attachments and the things that trip me. And it's like it's this um, sanctification on crack, you know.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> I like it.
1: <laughs> uh, we call it deification. He's imparting the nature of Christ to us that from glory to glory, mm. we're being transfigured by the spirit into the image of Jesus Christ.
2: Wow.
1: That's salvation. Yes. And it's much more robust than sort of say the magic prayer. Now you're in the club. You
0: know that, that's yeah shallow. Yeah, I, I agree. It is very shallow. I mean, it does open up all these wider theological questions on on how we view the spirit and and just just uh, if you don't mind, I don't want to spend too too much time on this, but maybe even just briefly, if you could talk about the distinction between, and this is where perhaps even I've wrestled and others have wrestled. Where I say yes and amen to everything that I'm hearing. And yet there there does seem to be those verses which imply that yes, as you said, the spirit has gone out into all creation, is on the move. And then there are those verses that speak of of needing the spirit of of sonship to cry out our father. Are there distinctions? And, and and if so, how so? If not, why not? I yeah. just kind of understand it a little bit more.
1: Very good. So we'll retrace a couple things and then yeah. come to two scriptures maybe yep. um so, in order in terms of retracing, then we would say that the with just as with the salvation of Jesus Christ, so the experience of the Holy Spirit is that there is the truth of our being for all people, and then there's the experience of the way of our being for those who respond. And so um and, and so this this comes to a really important point about, about what Jesus Christ brings to the table and how the Holy Spirit is involved in that. So When Jesus says in John 14, 6, our favorite exclusivist passage Hmm. um, Hmm. says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Abba but through me. Is he saying no one ever knew God before? Is he saying Abraham and Moses and David didn't know God? It's like, of course not. Abraham was a friend of God. Jesus knew this. Um, In fact, Abraham was a friend of Jesus. (laughs) And because that's who would appear to him. And then Moses Knew God face to face in the tent of meeting. David was a man after God's heart, own heart who talks about the, his intimacy with God in Psalm 139. And yet these uh, they related to God in a particular way, and they would name God in those ways. It's like this is and, and for David it becomes super personal. This is my God, my strong tower, my deliverer, my fortress, my good shepherd. And then he gets his people singing these hymns with him mm. our 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 strong tower our king our deliver and so on and so that's a huge breakthrough in the knowledge of god that it's not just god out there but it's my god and not just in a tribalist way
3: mm. but in
1: an intimate way mm. so they knew god jesus is not saying you couldn't know god until you signed up in the christian club what he's saying mm. is i've come to reveal god in a new and deeper way a god who is abba wow you will know him as Abba, his favorite name for God, 70 times he uses it. And he, and he says, and, and you're going to know Abba in me and Abba in you. And so now this is much closer, wow. much more personal. And then he says, and I'm going to give you the spirit of sonship and daughterhood. Mm. And, and well paul describes this in romans 8 and he says the whole role of the holy spirit is that mm. jesus would give you the gift of this one who allows your heart to cry abba from inside yes wow. so, so so jesus isn't saying no one ever knew god except through me he's saying you are going to now know god as abba in you mm. through me by the spirit and that's a whole new game changer which wow. is amazing and we come to know then god as abba becomes like god is love
0: wow and
1: it was all hinted back there from the time of moses and david but now it's explicit yes and it's poured out into the world in a powerful way now such that if you had asked a pagan in a like let's say the at the turn of that first millennium Mm. tell us what god is like they would not have said god is love maybe Mm. some of the a a few philosophers would like plato but uh this platonist but but most of them it's like god is transcendent god is out there god is scary and now think about it in our world today even people mm. who aren't christians mm. this truth that god is love is permeated it permeated yes. out there. well if there is a god he would be loved it's like, i wonder how you found that out it's mm-hmm. that christ poured it into the world by his
0: spirit yes 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 i i've, I've called it the the to use the analogy of sanctification of one individual, it's the sanctification, the ongoing sanctification of the cosmos. You know, the, the oh, earth is becoming, it's becoming more and more in the realization that God is love. And and then the good news of that being revealed in Jesus, it's, it's even more further up and further in unto new creation, which is, you know, the ultimate good news as well.
1: Yeah, yeah in john you have it both ways too it's like there is a there 146 is sort of like jesus is going to lead you to know abba right but mm. earlier in the book he also says this no one comes to me to jesus unless abba himself invites them so mm. in the case of stanley it's not like he needed to know jesus to begin encountering abba mm. it's more like he's already encountering abba who will ultimately introduce him to jesus yes when it's exactly right for stanley so yes
0: Yes, no, that's that's so wonderful, um, and, and it probably answers my other question I was going to ask. And that was to do with the role of the Holy Spirit in, in perhaps other faiths or other worldviews. I mean, could you maybe even touch a little bit on that if 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 you have anything else more to say? Because because I think it's it's going back to making the distinction between pluralism. So we're not saying it's all all the roads lead to God, but it is certainly. It sounds like that. The Spirit is wanting to draw all people unto God's self. And so have you, have you also seen this and perhaps even the context of other explicitly different religions? And um, so maybe if you give your own experience, but uh, and also some theology behind that, if, if, you, if you have any more. Discussion.
1: Sure. Yeah, I would say it is this idea that the Holy Spirit is a witness everywhere. Christ has joined himself to every human journey. So whoever is out there in whatever religion. All right. So we've got we've got Christ walking with them. We've got the spirit witnessing to them. And now let's say in their faith and their culture, they cry out to God. I'm a monotheist. I think that there is only one God that hears them when they call out. Mm -hmm. They might have really odd They might have really odd ideas about God. Maybe they think this God has eight arms. You know, like people have ideas, weird ideas about God. And, but even in their weird ideas about God, when they call to Him, there's only one who hears.
0: Yes. Wow.
1: And when that one does He hear? Yes, He does. And does Mm. He answer? Yes, He does. Mm. So uh, we see this right now happening all over Islam. um, Mm. And that is every single day. Thousands of Muslims are mm. crying out to Allah who they and they begin their prayers this way in the name mm. of God, the merciful God, the all merciful God, the especially merciful. And they cry out to him who is up there or in there that can yes. hear them yes. There just isn't another God. That's what the scriptures tell us. Mm. Um, the false gods are, are just our own fanciful ideas about God. But the one who actually hears them can hear that prayer. Mm. and begin to reveal himself and so we're, we're just hearing of whole there's over 80 movements now where in crying out to allah god has revealed himself through jesus
2: yes and we wow. have all these
1: jesus following muslims mm. um mm. quick story about that my friend donna winship yeah. she was working with a muslim girl in the middle east and walking her through a quran study mm. um, that would point seven signs of islam that point back to the old testament so they're walking Mm. through they start with adam and how shame comes into the world and then she would do listening now we're going to pray to allah and we're going to listen what has allah done about shame how does he want to address your shame and then they move on to the next one and it's like noah and then uh later on it's david it's like okay now we're going to read psalm 139 and and it's and and so and then you listen and how, what has Allah shown us about knowing you? And she listens. And who's mm. answering? She's beginning to hear his voice. Wow. But the final sign was was Christ. And so in the Quran, Jesus says, worship God and obey me.
3: Mm.
1: So he's like right in the midst of things. And so they say, um, well, the, the sign of Jesus, let's use the story of the woman at the well. And and they're talking about how that that Jesus has come to give us. The, the spirit and the, mm. the the living water that flows to eternal life. And, and so they said, so well, here's what we want you to do. Ask Allah what he wants to show you about Jesus.
2: Mm.
1: So she prays Allah, what do you want to show me about Jesus? And she ha- goes into a vision. She sees a man holding a book and, she, and they say, Oh, who is it? And she says, well, it's obviously going to be Muhammad and he's holding the Quran. And, and they said, ask Allah who it is.
2: Mm. And well wow.
1: Hey Allah, that and and then she begins weeping she says Allah says the man is Jesus and he's holding the book of life and he's writing my name in it in blood with his finger wow and like wow and she opens her eyes she goes I want the living water I want eternal and uh, and she didn't have she didn't have to join our Christian uh, subculture to follow Jesus into the kingdom of heaven Mm -hmm. in her own culture she encountered Jesus and now she's following Jesus into the kingdom of heaven. So this is sort of the front end of like some of the mission missions groups are saying, we don't need to convert. We can't convert them to Christianity most of the time, but what we can do is lead them into an encounter with Jesus Mm. um, through the power of the Holy spirit, such that they follow him directly into the kingdom of God.
0: Yes. Wow.
1: Wow. It's magnificent what's happening. So that'd be one example where people are meeting they're not just meeting the light or the word in their in their religion like they actually are they're meeting Christ himself in yes. that place
0: yes, and that's a and actually that's a really important distinction because I can imagine some people would would say, oh, is this just you know um yeah once again they'll come back to pluralism, but it certainly isn't this is the, this is the 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 singular Christ who just so happens to be so loving and 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 the spirit is out and is drawing people unto Christ's self and it's it's beautiful it actually gives us a wider picture of church and I think if anything it gives us some humility as well because you know we we often try to get people to join the Christian religion but we often forget that Christ is outside the walls of any particular kind of constructs we put to it I don't know if that's the right word
1: well I love that you called it a wider vision of church because of what it tells me then is church is not an institution within mm. the Christian subculture. Church is all those people who have gathered to follow Christ, not just people. Hebrews 12 says the, the Christians are in the church, sure. The Old Testament Jewish saints are in the church. The mm. angels are in the church. Mm. Christ-following Muslims are probably in the church because what makes it church, it's the ecclesia, is the gathering around the mm. new covenant who is Jesus Christ. Yes. One other example like that, you know, I work with, a, I have a good friend, his name's Ed. Uh, I know him through 12-step recovery. He's he's hilarious because he, he would say, I hate the church. And he means I hate Christian r- religion. But he, he also reads the Sermon on the Mount every day, just like Gandhi did. He also yes. believes that the path to recovery is listening to Jesus and obeying his words. <laughs> um, yes. He's absolutely a Christ following 12 step recovery member. Uh, he, he, so it would be like this He has a higher power who is God, and Jesus is the one you follow to enter into the freedom of that higher power. And like, mm-hmm. oh, so you're a Christian? Oh, no. <laughs> and then he, he swears, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. And uh, like, okay. Is he in the church? And uh, conversely, mm. I think he is. Mm. Conversely, are those who attend Sunday morning services in the Christian so- subculture who don't follow Jesus
2: mm. <laughs> in
1: their lives, actually, in the church. Wow. Wow. Uh, it's not to accuse them. That's to look oh. at myself and go, oh, my goodness, am I even a Christian? Um, yes. Yeah. Maybe I'll let you decide that as yes. you watch. Wow. And. I'm definitely not, and I, and I need to, like, whoa. I know, and so where I go with that, I don't go to condemnation. I go to Lord have mercy, and I go, and of course he does. Yes. This is who he is.
0: Yes. Oh, and it's good news. It's really good news. Yeah. I operate in kind of more charismatic Pentecostal schools, um, yep. and I, I'm i very acutely aware of people who have come out of um, – I can hear some of my Christian friends – who used to be Hindu or used to be Muslim, and and I, I can hear them now saying saying to me, going, ah, oh, but Nathan, like you got to understand, I when I was a Hindu, and I became a Christian, I had to, and they would actually use quite dramatic version stories of of you know even you know uh, deliverance and things like that, and yep. these these stories, as as much as I'm hearing all this, partly also. Once again, oh, what do we make of that? Because I, I can be acutely aware that for some people, their their previous religious um, uh, backgrounds for them have been a very dehumanising experience. Where and, and that Absolutely. isn't that isn't to throw shade at those religions where there is some commonality. But I'm what what do you do with with stories like that? of people say, um, "Well, for me, you know, Islam was a very dark place," or Hinduism was or they will use some of these language. what What do you say people's experiences from those backgrounds?
1: Yeah, I, I would validate those experiences, and that's why I'm not a pluralist. And so hmm. I would say, yes, there there uh, we have not been called out of Hinduism into Christianity. We've been called out of darkness into light. Oh, and there is a darkness of fear-based religion. That can entangle people, whether you're a Hindu, a Muslim, or a Calvinist. And I've done yes. deliverance ministry on those two, by the way. In, yeah. No, not just Calvinists, charismatics. The most, two of the most dramatic deliverance sessions I've been on, where people were like mm. bouncing off the floor, were mm. charismatic Christians. Wow. So I'm like, yes, we need to come out of darkness into life. And I'm not yes. even going to judge, uh, like, sort of what's the demonology behind this i would say this mm. what i saw was the sound of pain yeah the sound of pain um and the chains of fear being broken off mm. and it is not a surprise to me when i encountered when i if i encounter that let's say let's say with voodoo where the whole thing is based on fear i mean that's mm. how that's the whole construct mm. But also, I'm very, very, I'm acutely aware of versions of charismatic Christianity, which which virtually dabble in witchcraft and praying against this and binding up Mm. that and trying to find the next incantation. Hello? Mm.
0: You know? Yes.
1: Whatever Satan is is afraid of us. And you just make the sign of the cross and he runs. Meanwhile, I, I know charismatics who they have actually promoted the demons. back into this almost demigod kind of thing and and now that's our big battle and we're engaged in every that every day well that's just christian voodoo so Mm. yeah i i really do believe that people have dramatic experiences of freedom Mm. coming out of darkness into light but i just met a girl the other day and she said well what do you do with this brad when i've gone from um christianity into agnosticism and i had a ma- and and she said and that's when i got free i'm like well it was your it was the dark it was the darkness mm. of fear in her christianity those wow. chains have been broken off and now she's actually closer to christ in mm-hmm. her experience yeah she's experiencing his freedom and and she's like well i don't know if it's i don't think it's because of him And i am like i know you don't how could you, with your back, how, like, what else would you say when yes. the name of Jesus was attached to constant threats of hell mm. and raptures and Armageddon? It's like, mm. of course, that's a whole world of darkness. Yes. So that's, that's how I would deal with that. I would say, yeah, uh, uh, pluralism shows us that not all religions are created equal, including parts of our faith.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's a good posture to have because it takes the log of our own eye, our own kind of religious movements and plural movements and um, backgrounds eyes because I think, as, as I think you rightly pointed out, it's from going to darkness to light. And I think the the more we start to see Christ less about constructs of religiosity, um, and that isn't to imply that there are particular beliefs within Christianity but is to make all beliefs relational it's it's not so much about having the the dots across the t's so much more that it is we're talking about an actual person with personality and intentionality and will wanting to take us further up and further in
1: yeah that's perfect yeah this is a person we're talking about yes (laughs) not a not a system and and I think there are faith practices that really do help us orient ourselves absolutely the person Yes, and there's other faith practices that orient ourselves towards the darkness, and you've just mm. got to keep your eye on them because, yep. uh, yeah, they're they're slippery sometimes.
0: Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Are there other biblical passages that we haven't mentioned already that people often cite to push back against this inclusive view of salvation? And and so are there others we haven't mentioned? And if there are, what what would you say to those ones?
1: Yeah. So. um let's cover two things. The first one's quite quick in the book of acts. Peter says, there's no other name by which you're saved other than Jesus. I'm like, absolutely. He's the Mm. one who saves Mm. it. it, What he doesn't say is that there's no other way to be saved other than having a conversion experience to the Christian club. That's Mm. not what he says. Mm. He says, Mm. anybody who's saved, it's actually Jesus who does it. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I totally believe that. And, and, and then, um, I would also say that, um, the, some of the pushback is around um, it is appointed unto one man unto man once to die, and after that the judgment, and it's treated as if so you must respond before you die, or you go to hell forever. And um, to me, that is a, that's a radical repudiation of the victory of Christ over death. Mm. It's, it's a Complete rejection of the truth that Jesus now holds the keys of death in Hades and he's conquered that yes and so so then I will they will say are you saying you could still respond after death it's like well Romans 8 says death can't separate us from the Mm. love of God Mm. and yes you still need to respond so how are you going to do that after you die it's like that's the judgment Christ Mm. appears to you and calls to you and so the end of Revelation he says and 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 I saw new heavens and a new earth, and I mm. saw the new Jerusalem come down, which is the bride of Christ, and the yes. spirit and the bride mm. say, Come, they say, Come to who? Those outside the city. And it says, yes. and the, the gates of the city will never be closed. And why not? Well, because his loving kindness endures till you die. No, his mm-hmm. loving kindness endures forever. His loving kindness is everlasting. And so mm. so then. The follow-up question is always, "Well, well, then why evangelism?" It's like because people are already perishing, and yes. Jesus is already wonderful.
0: Yes, yes, um, yes.
1: Like, what do you mean? Wait till you die. That's the. And uh, some have gone so far as to say, "Well, if I didn't have to worry about the fear of hell, then I wouldn't even be a Christian." It's like, "Well, then you're not a Christian."
2: Yeah, because yeah.
1: he's not won your heart. Mm. Uh, you're not following him. You just want fire insurance. You don't wow. know him, do you? Yeah, really don't know him.
0: Uh, so, no. I, yeah. and perfect love casts out all fear, because fear love. is about yep. judgment, punishment.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, punishment. yeah. So, um, yeah, so so while I believe that Christ has conquered death in Hades, so that death mm. can't separate you from His loving invitation, mm. I also believe there's an urgency to share this good news now because the human condition is really hard, mm. and people need to know my best friend who Mm. has changed my life and when the bulldozer of life came over me he was there for me in 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 a profound and good way in my affliction he didn't he didn't salt he didn't like escape me out of it Mm. but he walked Mm. me through it i'm like wow i would want you to know about that when the bulldozer comes over you and if you and so that i'm a more i'm a more um I'm a more aggressive evangelist than ever because I only have good news. It's such good news.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's wonderful news. And just our yeah. curiosity, I oh, hope oh, this isn't too much off topic and we don't have to do a huge of if, if, if it's too much to ask, but just our curiosity, because of course, I've also read your book, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, which in in terms of what you wrote in that book to where you are now, in terms of your belief, people... Responding to the gospel beyond the impasse of death, or beyond the impasse of even um, the the restoration of all things. Do do you still hold to that? People um, that how am I how, how what am I what am I trying to ask here? That it's still potentially functionally possible that people will continue rejecting, or do you see that there will be an, an inevitable win over? Or are you agnostic about that? and You just lean on the goodness of God like how do you kind of if if you don't mind me asking that it's just I'm genuinely curious about where you stand I don't mind
1: at all I don't mind at all so I think I said it I said it very subtly in that book I what I said was and this is now 10 years ago I I said that we cannot presume that any will be lost and we cannot presume that all will be saved we cannot presume
2: Mm. but the love
1: of God obligates us to hope and pray and preach for the salvation of all. And then I, I did add to that, but um, sort of this idea that that when we see him, uh, we must give a free will response. So there is a principle of free will, but our will will be freed.
0: Yes, I like that.
1: Delusions, from the delusions of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Mm. So... So you could, while you might say, well, you know, the, you know, free will means that it is potentially possible that some could say no forever. I'm like, I don't know that that's true of freed will, F-R-E-E-D. Yes, yes. Um, so I I hinted that, that subtly in that book. Um, uh, I would be more overt about it now and just say I'm not a universalist because I think we have to be redeemed by Jesus through the Mm. cross, his resurrection, final judgment, and a faith response. But I also say, boldly, and all will ultimately respond. Mm. Mm. When their wills have been healed and freed to see Christ as he is, it will Mm. become absurd not to. And um, this is uh, Maximus the Confessor. He would say it this way, um, um, that our, well, I'll transpose what he says, I think. that That in this life, our wills have become dysfunctional. They're not. Mm. It's not bondage of the will, like you get in Kelfer, Kelder, Kelvin, or Luther. But it, my will is dysfunctional. I vacillate between good and evil. I, I, mm. I kind of want the good. I really do want the good. Oh, but then I trip because maybe I, I wander. Um, but when we see Christ, mm. our our wills will be restored to their natural mm. um, state, and the natural will always wants the good. And when we see the good, we will freely respond to the good so Mm -hmm. it is a free will freed will response and so Mm -hmm. because of that i do affirm ultimate redemption and i and like let's say with david bentley hart's new book that all will Mm -hmm. be saved i object to the term a universalist but i Mm -hmm. i i think his all his arguments are just irrefutable
2: yeah Um, yeah do you
1: see i have a bit of a i'm playing with a distinction between universalist and ultimate redemption and yeah Need to probably these days, I feel more bold than I did 10 years ago about yes. saying, Oh, yes, I believe in ultimate redemption. Mm. And I would say, I some call this, it's they've called me, I've called it hopeful in, inclusivism. Mm. But when I say hope, I don't mean wishful thinking. I say yes. my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, He mm. is our objective hope. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's not a wishy-washy word to me, or it, it doesn't. Hope doesn't mean doubt to me. Hope means Jesus, and I put my mm-hmm. hope in Him. His mm-hmm. hope, that hope will not disappoint.
0: Yes, yes,
1: so, yeah. That that's more bold, I suppose, than I was in.
0: Yeah, uh, no, it's interesting. And I, I I was curious because I mean, I mean for me, my, my my current theology, and I say current because who knows where yep. I'll be ten, ten years my ten years down the road myself. But certainly for me, it's it's I rest it on the character. Of God. A rest yes. on, on what is re- who is revealed in Jesus, and, and speaking only personally, for me that I, I can I can it saves me from uh, what what I see as almost a, a double dogmatism of going well. I certainly can't be an infernalist because the character of God demands that I cannot be that. Yes. Um, for me, it's all also say I cannot be a hundred percent guaranteed how everyone will respond. But it's actually the, the onus always comes down to to the to that of the person. Though. But you're right. I think the wills will be freed. And, and I'm hopeful and hopefully likewise not wishful thinking either that, that, yeah, that surely good news is good news.
1: Yeah. I just want to add one other thing from an Orthodox perspective. We would say we can believe this, but we don't teach it as doctrine because the mm. creeds don't. Mm. Um the creeds also don't teach infernalism, that's for sure. Mm. But Mm
2: -hmm.
1: the the other um the other thing with it is like in the west we thought of it being like two groups of people, saved and unsaved, going to heaven and hell, and hell is the place away from God and it's fiery. In the Eastern Church, we see a river of God flowing from his throne in Daniel 7, that God Himself is the consuming fire. Yes, well, and that we all pass through that fire. Yes. your orientation to the fire affects how you experience it. So if you love the the fire of God's love, you experience God mm. as heaven. If mm. you hate the fire of God's love, you experience that love as hell. And so some Orthodox would say, and for some, it will be perpetually like that. And so they're kind of infernalists, but God is the fire still, and it's his love that is tormenting them. Um, but other fathers like Gregory and Isaac the Syrian, for example, they would say, "No, this this love is effective.
2: Yeah, the, fi- right.
1: the fire melts the hard heart. Yes, of, and draws out the dross mm. and brings forth the precious stones and the gold and the silver." And mm. so, idea of being in the in the consuming fire of God's love cannot be perpetual um, in turn torment because that love is effective, and as yes. Chris Green recently said, mm. if that fire doesn't purge us of all evil, it wasn't hot enough. But God, wow. the heat of God's <laughs> love is 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 infinitely hot, and yeah. it is able to do what He intends for it to do. And so again, I wouldn't, I would not teach that as doctrine. I would say that this is my conviction, and mm. and um, and that's enough for
0: me. Yes. Yes, wow, wow. Now, thank you for following following that question up because I think it does tie into the whole notion of having an inclusive salvation. Because inclusive salvation, you would think that not only is it based in the character of God in the here and the now, but also in the later. So, I thought that was a good a good clarification as well. So, so thank you for answering that. Maybe just to wrap things up, because I don't want to take too much of your time, Brad. Um, uh, what? What can Christians do to lean into our inclusivist view of salvation? What can churches do?
1: Well, I would, I would start with a much, much higher anthropology. So in the Western tr- um, uh, Reformed tradition, we saw people as primarily a, a piece of shit. Um, mm. And that the mercy of Christ sort of covers that over. And now, when God looks at us, He sees Jesus. But really, as one of Lu- Luther or one of his disciples said, "Now you are snow-covered dung." Oh dear! And so, what's still at the heart of you? And so, and that, and that. In fact, until you do that, you're, I was actually taught that people are—they're dead in their transgressions and sins. So, everybody out there who's not a Christian is just a walking zombie, spiritually speaking. I think what a what a horrid dehumanizing yeah. view.
0: No, it, um, it is.
1: But in the Eastern tradition, especially get this in Gregory of Nyssa, he he says no. At the heart of every human is a diamond, and that is the image of God. And even the fall does not remove that that your personhood, yes. that that image. But so the image is there, and that's your truest self yes. at your core. Yes, and um. But the fall is is like walking in this world. We begin, the diamond gets tarnished. So we have the image, we begin to lose the likeness. I don't look like very much like God anymore.
2: Mm. Um,
1: mm. And so what Christ has come to do is to cleanse the diamond of the tarnish.
2: Mm.
1: Well, that means leaning into inclusion would look like everybody I see is yes. a diamond instead yeah. of a piece of shit. And yes. I don't need to, I don't. I don't need to dehumanize them in any way. I need to to say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see the diamond in this person and to call it forth and to say, I, I'm going to be God's agent in drawing out their truest self.
2: Yes. And yes. I'm
1: going, I'm going to image the love of God to them that actually washes their diamond and uh, mm-hmm. Dostoevsky, he would. He, his whole works are profound this way because he says the one transforming thing you can do
2: mm. for
1: another human soul is co-suffering love. Wow! That no- nothing cleanses the diamond or, or or purifies the gold of another human heart like entering into their suffering with them <laughs> as a, as a loving brother or sister. Um, yes. Well, you will not argue them past that. You, you you won't have a theodicy that rationalizes their way to wholeness. You won't have, you know, it's it's this Id- this idea of um, the compa- well, co-suffering love literally means compassion. So it's mm. empathy and mm. compassion, which is what's revealed on the cross that yeah. God becomes empathetic by stepping into our shoes, yeah, co-passionate in that He co-suffers with the whole human race, and miraculously. Supernaturally, that begins to cleanse us. Well, that happens, with, that can happen with all the people in our lives, and yes, can happen for us as well. Wow, so that's wow. where I would start.
0: Uh, yeah, that yeah,
1: all are included in that vision of the diamond mm. rather than the, the dung.
0: Yeah, and it's a, in, in fact, even as a spiritual practice, what would it mean to, to look at people being mindful of that to actually go, You're a person made in God's image, and you are precious, you are a diamond. And it's uh, it's it's sin that's unoriginal. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. In God's (laughs) original intent, and maybe a corollary to that Mm. would be God's orientation towards them. So J.I. Packer told me directly. He said God's primary disposition towards humanity is enmity. That means like enemy, (laughs) anger, and that's his primary disposition. I'm like absolutely not. The primary disposition towards God is Just as the Muslims say, Mm. merciful, all merciful, especially merciful. And actually, they got it from us, probably, or at Mm. least some Syrian Christians, maybe. Or maybe Allah revealed that. I don't know. But Mm. I want to say, like, that God, the Archbishop of Canada says, uh, God is mercy only.
0: Mm. Yes, yes.
1: Every attribute of God is a facet of that mercy.
0: Wow. Wow. I love that. I love that. And, you know, it's interesting because with the J.I. Packer um, kind of response that, that you, were, you were given, it's, it's kind of ironic that it would be ironic then if God shows enmity, enmity towards us as enemies, even though Jesus himself told us to love us. <laughs> So it would be ironic if, if Jesus wasn't practicing <laughs> what he was preaching. So, yeah. Anyway. Character of God,
1: right? Just yeah. like you said. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. Oh, man. This has been a roller coaster of, of grace and seeing a much more beautiful gospel, Brad. Thank you so much for, for speaking to us today. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited for people to, to listen and to reflect on what we spoke about today.
1: Yeah, I'd like to live into it to myself. So Lord have mercy.
0: Lord have mercy. Amen. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Well... That was our interview with Brad Jersak, covering the topic of Christian inclusivism or a wider view of God's salvation. If you would like to know where to find more stuff on Brad Jersak, visit his website at www.bradjersack.com or follow him on Instagram or Twitter at Brad Jersack. or of course, find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash jersak. His two books that I highly recommend that a lot today's episode was based on are his two books, A More Christlike Way and In. Both books are now available on Amazon. Now, as it relates to today's topic of Christian inclusivism, I understand this might open up more questions for you. And I want to invite you to lean into those questions, because questions in the Christian faith are okay. And topics like Christian inclusivism have been discussed about since the beginning of the church. So it is fine to talk about these things. It is fine to explore exactly how God saves. And so I invite you to continue to explore, especially in the context of this podcast, as we seek to once again go deeper and wider. That's it for this episode of Deeper and Wider. If you like what you heard, then please rate this episode on your podcast provider and share with your friends. To follow my work, then find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com/slash Nathan.forster, or find me on either Twitter or Instagram at NathanForster. Deeper and Wider is part of the Expansive Faith Network. To see more content like this podcast or to support our work, head over to expansivefaith.com. Until then, keep on seeking and go deeper and wider.